The following is a presentation of Gallery Church Downtown, part of a family of neighborhood churches seeking to display God's greatness to the world. For more information, please visit gcbdowntown.com. 2-43. As Peter traveled about the country, he went to visit the Lord's people who lived in Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas who was paralyzed and had been bedridden for eight years. Aeneas, Peter said to him, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and roll up your mat. Immediately Aeneas got up. All those who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. In Joppa there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek her name is Dorcas. She was always doing good and helping the poor. About that time she became sick and died and her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Lydda was near Joppa, so when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men to him and urged him, please come at once. Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All of the widows stood around him, crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. Peter sent them all out of the room, and then he got down on his knees and prayed. Turning toward the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called for the believers, especially the widows, and presented her to them alive. This became known all over Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord. Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner named Simon. May God bless the reading of his word. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Joel. Um, We can very quickly come into Acts 9 and the story of uh, Paul's conversion from Saul to Paul and how um, Ananias uh, was uh, coming to minister to him and then so many others that are now, this lady Dorcas that's now mentioned in this passage. It's so easy to just be like, oh great, there's some names and and keep moving on. But there's a great narrative that's happening because the news that Jesus is Lord is spreading rapidly. I want you guys to understand this is what's happening in Acts 9. There are thousands of people being added in Acts 2. There are thousands of people being added in Acts 3, 4, 5, 6. And even at the end of the story of Saul's conversion, they enjoyed a period of peace when he got into a boat and sailed to Joppa. And even more and more people were being added. So there's an incredible movement happening. There's a lot of people that are awakening to the fact that Jesus is alive and he's seated on the throne and he's changing lives. And then we get a story like this where it seems like um, a, a group of widows who are making clothing would seem so insignificant. And so to me today what I want to say to you guys um, to just get things started is that God sees. Can you just let that be what you hear this morning? God sees you. It doesn't matter if you're somebody like me that actually gets a chance to stand on a stage and have a few lights aimed at you, right? I mean, you're sitting in darkness, and I'm standing here under the heat of these lamps thinking, why can't I be in the darkness, right? Um, but I'm just sitting here. I mean, it's, my role in the story of God is just the story of God. And what we're doing is important, all of us. And when you look at the fact that this time in human history was before the manufacturing of clothes and that things could be mass produced in an instant, it seemed like you have a ministry that these ladies were doing that was, especially to the poor, very significant because where else were they going to get the clothes that they were wearing? 
But yet, we're in this epic story. I mean, Paul and Peter and James and John and all these people are going around all around Jerusalem, all around the temple, and now they're starting to spread as far away as Damascus and Joppa and all these other places to begin to tell Gentiles and Jews alike about the hope of Jesus Christ. And then the writer Luke in this gospel is writing this letter to a friend, decides to take what seems to be an insignificant story of a lady that we're going to call Dorcas for the rest of our time together and makes a powerful moment in the middle of this letter about her when there were probably dozens of women like her that could have been mentioned. And in the first century, it grew to be thousands of women. And probably by the second and the third century, tens of thousands of women. And now by the time that we're here in our country today, in this year and this generation around the world, there's millions of women like Dorcas, people that nobody knows about. Not everybody gets the recognition of Mother Teresa. Not everybody is going to become a household name. But yet, apparently, in Luke's writing, this was so significant to be able to talk about. Some of you know, um, because you follow me on social media, that one of the benefits of the house that we were able to purchase last year um, has a roof deck. (laughs) And let me just tell you this. Roof decks are nice. Um, if you don't have one um, and you want to borrow mine, I'll be more than happy to figure out a way of making that happen if I'm not up there by, m- by myself talking to the Lord. But I love my roof deck. Uh, um, not like in a weird way, although I do lay on it sometimes and it kind of hug it, you know, but um, that's generally out of exhaustion, not out of any type of weirdness. But um, one of the things that I enjoy the most about my roof deck are the mornings because in Baltimore, I don't care what the craziness of the night has been in our city, generally around four or five in the morning, there's not a lot of mischief going on. You don't hear as many ambulances. You don't hear as many sirens. Actually, you don't hear as many voices on the street. And if you can get up early enough, you can position your chair facing the east and you can see the morning star before the sunrise. And the morning star looks like somebody has literally got a flashlight on just beaming at you out of the midst. And it stands out. Even with the city lights that never go out, you can see the morning star in a powerfully clear way. It's just beautiful. So even if you can't get up in the morning, you need to have somebody one morning at least help you to get up so that you can see it and experience it before the sunrise. But when, I, when, I, when I've been up there trying to just ask the Lord to, to restore my soul or to, to, to share words with me, um, one of the things that I've noticed is that in the midst of the busyness of our city, I mean, there are people in our city right now that are trying to cure cancer, and, and I want them to be successful. There are people in this city right now that are trying to figure out how to spend our government money wisely. There are people in our city right now trying to deal with infrastructure and traffic lights. There are people that are trying to do the greater narrative of the life of the people around us. But yet when I'm sitting there in the chair watching the morning star and seeing the sunrise, I notice two houses over from me, an abandoned chimney, that the cap has been removed and there's a starling family living in it. Uh, It's a little black bird. And there are now little birds that go along with the big birds. So I'm guessing that some eggs have hatched. And in the morning I can watch, I guess it's the mama bird. I don't know what the men do. I mean, I'm sure in bird life men are lame too. Um, um, But uh, they, uh, very, very possibly they're going and coming. You see them carrying insects 
you know, um, or, you know, something you'll see him go up and grab something and then it just disappears and bad for whatever that was. Right. Um, and so you, I'm watching this and sitting here thinking in the great story of our city, there's a really important activity that's happening and it's beautiful to watch. And it's not going to it's not many people that are going to notice it. Um, one of my friends, Rich Eden, uh, who works at Hopkins, he's a bird watcher, and he's documented thousands of species of birds. And I'm like, you know what? He actually might be on to something. Because in the midst of the big stories, there are little stories that inspire. And this is one of those moments in the story of the early church that I believe really should serve as a powerful inspiration for us. And so as, as we were stepping into this, one of the things that um, I, I realized was that there were two people healed, one that had been paralyzed for eight years and then another that had um, obviously fallen ill and wasn't able to do the job and then died. And everybody left the room and they sent out um, for Peter to come and wanted this healing to take place. And one of the things that, that really caused me to think was a series of why questions. Have any of you been in a season of why questions? Can I just find some comfort in knowing I'm not the only one asking a lot of why questions right now? Um, there are a lot of why questions. Why, I don't know. Um, the, but there's so many times that we bump up against stuff that that's the only thing that we can think to do. And here I begin to think, why is Peter called to this person that just died and not to others? Why in Luke's narrative? Because she couldn't have been the only one dying that week. She couldn't have been the only one that was facing the, the darkness and facing death. You know, why does um, this Aeneas get healed rather than the other disabled people in the area? Um, Because it's great for his family. They're the ones that will come in and lift their hands and worship like God is a great healer while there's others two or three rows back. But but why not my relative? Why not my family? Right. Have you guys ever been in that situation where you see people that are celebrating the goodness of God and you're sitting here saying, why? Why not my family? Um, I just want to tell you guys this. I don't have an answer for that out of this text. It's a mystery. I, there's so many places that we could go to that it's like, okay, well, our, even though this poor lady Dorcas was healed, she ended up dying again. She's still not alive somewhere. It's not like we can go find her, right? So was God really good to her? She had to experience death twice, you know? I mean, it's just like what, there's certain things. There's a lot of questions that come up. And if we're not careful, in the midst of a little story, we'll make the whole story about the little story and we'll forget about the big God story and that God is good all the time and that God is doing some special things. And if we're, if we're not careful, we'll let the wise dominate us so much that we'll be blinded and even become angry towards God because even though we have stories of God doing good things for us, God now doesn't do a good thing for us, and so it discounts all the good things he's ever done for us, right? That's what happens. So think about your roommate situations or marriages that, you're, that you might be currently involved with, or maybe you're no longer involved in that marriage, where at some point the good that was done in the past is no longer worth stepping into tomorrow because there's too many why questions about the current present activities, right? So many things happen, and we're like, oh, well, God was good to me 10 years ago, or God was good to my parents, but he's no longer good to me now. And so, but if God's, God is always same, always the same. 
And so in Luke, we're going to find, and we're not going to get it all the resolution now, but as we get to the end of Acts chapter 28, we're going to find how God is doing a good thing around the world, and people are being set free, captors are being set free, and people are having clothes made for them because of women like Dorcas who are saying, no task is too small for the kingdom of God. There are people that are literally waking up every day doing all the little things so that people that don't have anything can have something. And we need to be a place where those people can feel appreciated and feel celebrated. And, and I love this, and, I, and we put this on here. It comes out of verse 36. But Dorcas, she herself, let me go ahead and put it on the slide for you. I want you guys to read this. I think it's coming. Yes. She was always doing good and helping the poor. Now, if there's a, a, a phrase out of this whole thing, I think this would be a great time for us to talk about it. Because in light of everything that's happening in and around the world right now, there's a lot of conversation about people that are poor, people in the margins, people that are under the oppression of power. And so there are a lot of places for the church to step into and show light. But I also want to say that just as much as we need people on the stage speaking in the microphone, speaking on behalf of the poor, we need people that are actually serving them. We need people showing up at the breakfast on Sunday mornings feeding people that otherwise wouldn't get breakfast. Or people that are saying, you know what, I, there's a buy one, get one free at shirt sale right now. And rather than me getting two, why don't I buy one for somebody else? You know, we, there's little things that may go totally unnoticed, but yet God sees it. God sees it. God says, oh, I see what you just did there. And I'm making a note of that. It's, it's going to stand. It's going to, be a, a, it's going to be used to build the kingdom of God. And I love that this lady's testimony, and that when Luke was writing about her, his words of her was that she was always doing good in helping the poor. Her life was a life that was being lived in faith. It was being lived in hope. She was bearing the sorrows of other people around her. She was probably celebrating joys with people around her. But it was in those small acts of service that she was bringing life and fulfillment to the ways of the kingdom of God. And I love here how Luke just pauses for a moment and writes a story about a simple life story of the Lady Dorcas. And so as I bring this to a close on her life, Are we trying to make our faith too complicated? Are we burdening ourselves with things that we uh, just aren't necessary? Um, I think some of us might be trying to bite off more than we can chew, so therefore we don't do anything. I don't know if you have ever tried to change your eating habits. Um, it's a fight to change your eating habits, um, especially when ice cream is so good. Um, you just, it's just really hard. I mean, you can go a couple of days, and then you're like, you eat what you would have eaten over three days in one day. Um, you're like, well, I can, I, can make, I can splurge today, and you eat it for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and then at the end of the day, you're like, why did I do that, you know? Um, but we have a really difficult time of disciplining ourselves to do simple things or hard things and all this. And I think in our faith, um, I think if we could just start thinking about waking up in the morning saying, God, thank you for your mercies. Now, what good can I do today? 
Um, and where can I help the poor today? Uh, and that could be just a simple prayer. And what would it look like? I mean, I've gotten some interesting letters and emails this week about the ways that people are defining how I'm walking through this valley of shadow of death that I'm going through. And, and even those that have been um, leaving and, and uh, because of job changes and sharing words. And, and the thing that stands out to me the most is the little things. People love the little things. People love it when you make them a shirt or that you help them put it on. And I would love for us to not always be looking left and right for what can I get, but where can I do good and where can I help? Because I think a lot of times we come to church because it's what we need to get. Like, I hope that they notice me today. I hope that I am the one that people come and talk to, or I hope that I'm the one that gets a hug, or I hope that I'm the... But yet, looking to use this opportunity as a chance to show up and say, Lord, who is it that I need to go show your love to today? And then let that then open up the floodgates of what God can do, and then you might realize that your soul is being filled far greater than the people that you are trying to fill. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this testimony of Dorcas. I thank you for the way that you um, have included her in your kingdom conversation. I thank you so much, Lord, for the way that you have um, brought life and brought hope. Um, Father, I thank you even as Luke was being inspired by your, by your spirit to write to his friend Theophilus, Lord, that he didn't just write about the epic narrative, um, Lord, that there were other stories that were equally as important. And Father, I even think right now, this passage is really about a group of widows. It's not just one woman. There were multiple women that were serving and doing good, which makes me think of my mom and the efforts that she's trying to do as a widow and, um, and caring for others. And Lord, I thank you for that. I thank you, Lord. Um, even for Janet, who I've gotten to know, who has been serving faithfully as a widow. Lord, I pray, Father, that the testimony of us would that we are a group of people uh, that are following after Jesus and that we are known by our good deeds and, and Lord, our, our loving help towards the poor. And so, Father, we thank you for this story this morning. We thank you for the inspiration of it. And, Father, we just commit our time together today to say, Father, give us eyes to see. Give us ears to hear. Father, inspire us to wake up every morning um, in hopes of new mercies that not only we can receive, but yet we can give. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Guys, I'm going to invite you to stand. We're going to...